I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to the latest of our We the People constitutional podcasts. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. And today I am thrilled to announce some exciting news that will transform constitutional debate and education in America. At least that is our hope, and I'm eager for your thoughts. The National Constitution Center announces today the formation of our Coalition of Freedom Advisory Board. The Coalition of Freedom is a three-year initiative made possible by a very generous grant from the John Templeton Foundation, and we are bringing together the best scholars in America to participate in town hall constitutional debates across the country and to create the best nonpartisan interactive constitution on the web. The Coalition of Freedom Advisory Board has some spectacular co-chairs. They include the heads of the Federalist Society and the American Constitution Society. Uh, Carolyn Fredrickson, the head of the American Constitution Society, and by Lee Otis, Senior Vice President and Faculty Division Director of the Federalist Society. And they are joined by their scholarly co-chairs, Richard Pildes of New York University School of Law and Nicholas Quinn Rosencrantz of the Georgetown University Law Center. Both Rick and Nick are joining us on our podcast today to discuss what all of us hope to achieve with this advisory board and how we hope to affect constitutional education in America. Quick introductions, uh, Rick Pildes is the Sudler Family Professor of Constitutional Law at the New York University Law School, the nation's leading expert on election law and issues affecting democracy. Nick Rosencrantz is, in addition to being Professor of Law at Georgetown University Law School, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, a pathbreaking expert in issues involving uh, presidential power, among other topics that we'll discuss, as well as a great partner of the National Constitution Center in our constitutional debates with Intelligence Squared. Nick and Rick, welcome. Thank you so much for joining and sharing the Coalition of Freedom Advisory Board. Um, I'm going to start with you, Nick. Our goal in creating this advisory board, along with the Federalist Society and Constitution Society, is to bring people of very different perspectives to discuss not political issues, but constitutional issues. And we've tried to do that with our Intelligence Squared debates as well. How do you understand the difference between a constitutional debate and a political debate? And can you give us some specific examples? Sure. Well, that's a great question. Uh, as you know, uh, my family and I are very committed to debates. And one thing we've done is create a debate series here in New York called Intelligence Squared, which is a forum for debating public policy issues. And they are debated here in New York, but they're uh, broadcast on NPR and elsewhere nationwide. Uh, and so that's been an exciting initiative of ours. But our latest exciting initiative is our partnership with you doing an offshoot, which is constitutional debates at the National Constitution Center. And we consider this to be quite a distinct project from our core project in New York because it's constitutional debates. Uh, you and I, uh, we often do debates which are on topics that are quite similar to the policy debates we've done in New York, for example, NSA surveillance. 
But the NSA surveillance debate in New York would be a debate about policy. Is this a good idea? Do we think this is good for the United States, good for the country? The debate in Philadelphia is quite different. It is, is this consistent with the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, quite regardless of whether you think it's a good idea, quite regardless of your view on the policy question, what do you think of it as a constitutional matter? So you and I have been quite clear that the constitutional debate is substantively distinct from the policy debate, and I think that's been a really valuable addition to the conversation. Uh, thanks for that great uh, introduction, and I, I am equally excited about our collaboration. Rick, I'm, I wonder if you're convinced by the distinction Nick has just introduced between political and constitutional debates. There are many skeptics in the legal academy on, on both sides of the aisle about whether it's really possible to separate constitutional and political discourse. Do you think it's realistic for us to insist on this line as we plan these national debates moving forward? I think that there are two extreme positions on this question that are the most common positions, and I would personally reject both of those polar positions. One is that you know constitutional law is nothing but politics, uh, that it reduces to nothing but partisan politics. Uh, I certainly think that that's wrong. Um, I also think that a view that at the other pole, that the constitutional law operates in some kind of legal vacuum that is completely insulated from large, let's say, philosophical disagreements that might be taking place in American culture and politics. Um, I think that extreme other pole is also wrong. Uh, I think that there are many parts of the Constitution and of constitutional law that are much more settled uh, than many people recognize. Uh, many areas uh, that have been worked out over the long course of constitutional history that we can take for granted now. Those, of course, are not the subject of, of the most polarizing and high-profile Supreme Court cases, but they're very important, and that's part of what I think this project will help emphasize. Uh, I also think there are lots of cases in constitutional law that don't implicate the highly charged ideological and political conflicts of the moment, and those also are very important, but often under-recognized. Um, you know, I do think in you know, certain categories of constitutional cases, uh, there are philosophical differences that are fairly profound about how to interpret the Constitution uh, and what various provisions should be understood to mean. Uh, and I think that uh, people often confuse those differences with partisan political differences. Sometimes they map onto those differences, sometimes they don't. Uh, so one can think that constitutional law you know, has some connection to underlying moral, philosophical, even political judgments uh, without thinking constitutional law reduces to nothing but partisan political disagreements like in the Congress or in the country. That is a very helpful uh, nuance uh, in rejecting the polar positions that you described. And we found in our constitutional debates with Intelligence Squared and the Constitution Center uh, that you're right. The partisan and constitutional positions don't always align. In our debate about Citizens United and uh, corporate personhood, we had the heads of the ACLU uh, supporting the Supreme Court's position about corporate personhood and Bert Newborn and Zephyr Teachout, two progressive scholars, opposing it. Um, Nick, I want to ask for um, some specific examples of what listeners can expect 
with the thrilling series of debates we're launching around the country, I have to say, I think this is like the Lincoln-Douglas debates. It's just a wonderful uh, contribution to civil discourse that Lee Otis from the Federalist Society and Carolyn Fredrickson from the American Constitution Society have agreed to co-host this debate. We're already pinning down dates in cities across the country. We're going to sponsor at least six of them this year, and people around America will be treated to examples of the kind of constitutional debate that Intelligence Squared and the National Constitution Center have pioneered. So you and Rick have already engaged in precisely this kind of debate, and in particular, uh, at the Federalist Society, you've had a series of debates about the Constitution and foreign affairs involving the president's treaty power. Why don't you tell the listeners what topic exactly you were debating and what your position was? Uh, sure. So this is actually the first time Rick and I really engaged substantively. I'd written an article um, arguing that a treaty cannot increase the power of Congress, cannot give Congress new power. Uh, a Supreme Court case called Missouri v. Holland had seemed to say the opposite. It seemed to say that if we entered into a treaty, that treaty could actually give Congress new legislative power. And I had argued that that was wrong, and the court actually recently granted a case which uh, raised that issue. And so Rick and I uh, ended up debating that uh, at a Federalist Society forum in New Orleans and then again uh, at NYU. And you know, what was so great about it as an event is we, just, we went out of our way to find the most articulate scholar we could on the other side because we're big believers in um, you know, testing our ideas against the best possible advocates. And Rick was superb at this, so we ended up doing two of these live events, and then we had a quite an extended written debate on the Vala conspiracy online. And, you know, a lot of people said this was, you know, one of the best uh, explications of this issue, I think because it was formulated as a debate with point and counterpoint. So, you know, I've always been a big believer in that as a format, and uh, Rick and I have engaged in this sort of thing before, so we're looking forward to doing it again. That is great. Rick, tell us uh, what your position was on in this debate about the Constitution, foreign affairs, and the treaty power, and in what uh, matters you and Nick uh, disagreed. Well, Jeff, this is exactly the kind of issue that uh, can benefit so much from serious engagement from a range of perspectives, including people who have opposing views on the issue to some extent, because the big question here, which has been a question throughout American history and has never fully been resolved, is can the president and the Senate enter into treaties on certain sorts of subjects um, and then give the national government power it might not otherwise have on those subjects? So to be concrete, now, let's say we entered into a treaty that required eliminating the death penalty, um, and Congress then wants to pass a statute banning the use of the death penalty in all the states. That might be something Congress would not otherwise have the power to do. That can be a debatable question. Um, but the issue here is, is it the case that the way the framers understood the power to enter into treaties uh, such that it's possible a situation like this could emerge, that Congress now has power to legislate to, say, ban the death penalty or engage in other kinds of regulation it wouldn't, wouldn't otherwise have the power to do. Uh, now, 
these are the kinds of issues that can get so polarized in ideological and partisan terms um, in the larger media world, um, in part because most uh, of the rest of the media doesn't have the space for sort of serious, extended, nuanced analysis of these issues. Um, but both, you know, through what I hope we can accomplish with the Interactive Constitution Project and these town hall debates uh, and the commitment to a broad bipartisan perspective on these issues, uh, hopefully we can do much of what happened in the debates Nick and I have already had on this issue, which is, you know, identify where there might actually be more agreement than many political actors would think. Uh, identify more clearly what's at stake in one position versus the other position and what the best arguments are for it. And frankly, I think when the U.S. Supreme Court finally resolved the specific issue Nick and I were debating, um, it came to a kind of moderate intermediate position uh, that may very well have reflected the kind of common core and consensus of you know, the areas in which Nick and I had actually found more agreement than people might have expected in advance. Uh, so I think that you know, here, here you have a big, profound constitutional issue uh, that needs to be ventilated from both perspectives in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of way only this more extended process really permits. I love your notion that thoughtful, engaged constitutional debate may lead to areas of surprising agreement. The goal of these debates, I think, is not necessarily to set aside our differences, but as you say, sometimes when you test the ideas, you find that there are surprising uh, areas where uh, people converge. Uh, for example, in a great Second Amendment uh, debate uh, that we had on one of our podcasts, I remember uh, uh, Nick, uh, uh, or, or rather um, Michael Waldman, um, debating Alan Gura, the two leading Second Amendment folks, they disagreed about whether the Second Amendment was an individual or collective right based on history, but they ended up agreeing to, to many of our surprise that many of the regulations currently being proposed by federal and state legislatures would have been approved by the framers. So I, I find that an exciting part of these podcasts, uh, as well as the debates we're going to do around the country. Nick, um, you recently testified at the confirmation hearings for Loretta Lynch. Uh, you were focusing on an important constitutional issue, namely the uh, president's uh, power to pass executive orders concerning immigration. And yet much of the dialogue was, was quite partisan and, and focused not on the Constitution, but on Eric Holder and his legacy. Why is it that the confirmation process seems so ill-equipped to have the kind of constitutional debates that we're having? And uh, are, are you optimistic that through our podcast, the Interactive Constitution and IQ Squared collaboration, we can be a better model for serious, engaged constitutional dialogue? Uh, well, I'm certainly very optimistic about our project. I think I may be a bit more optimistic than you about the project in Washington, D.C. So uh, I did, I was in D.C. testifying at the hearing, the confirmation hearing for Loretta Lynch to be the next attorney general. And the partisan split was interesting on the sort of meta question of what this hearing should be like, what it should be about really substantively with Democrats arguing that it should be exclusively about Loretta Lynch and her resume and her character and her fitness for the job. And the Republicans on the committee took the position that 
this is actually a fine forum to explore sort of broader, deep constitutional questions. In particular, what is really the proper role of the Attorney General? And what is the role of the Attorney General as to advising the President on legal questions? Um, you know, the President's deepest constitutional duty is the duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And there are many who believe that he's skirted quite close to that line with some of his uh, executive orders that have been really in tension with statutory mandates. And so, the, you know, the committee took the opportunity to really delve into some of these deeper, important constitutional questions about the president's obligation to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And that's what I was there to testify about. And you know, I would say it was actually a surprisingly serious and substantive and worthwhile constitutional conversation. Um, and I think that is the sort of conversation that we ought to be trying to foster. And I think that our you know, project is going to help to develop these sorts, of con these sorts of conversations and these sorts of things. I'm glad that you had a positive and substantive experience. And that is another example of that, how when you focus people on constitutional issues, illumination may result. Rick, you mentioned the interactive constitution we're creating, and this is really a centerpiece of the Coalition of Freedoms uh, enterprise. Essentially, we are going to reach out to the top scholars in America from all perspectives and ask them to describe <clears throat> and write explanatory material for every clause of the constitution, describing both what they agree about and what the settled law and history is, and also with separate statements about open questions that they may uh, or may not disagree about. So let's discuss a concrete um, example because we're working up a template to send around to scholars. You are uh, the nation's leading expert on voting rights. You've written a beautiful uh, thousand word statement on the 15th Amendment describing what the settled law and history are. Uh, we then sent that statement to Bradley Smith, one of the most dis uh, distinguished conservative uh, scholars on the issue. He agreed with almost every word of your common statement with some very minor edits. He then wrote a separate statement about what he thinks some open questions in voting rights law are. And you are going to write another separate statement about what, what you think those open issues are. So why don't you tell the audience uh, both what, describe your common statement about, about what you think is settled about the 15th Amendment, and then maybe flag for them what you think some of the open areas of disagreement may be. Well, I think your description of how we're going about creating this interactive constitution uh, reflects uh, two different ways of trying to develop, uh, let's say, broad perspective on constitutional provisions that both recognize areas of agreement and recognize areas of conflict. So one way you could do a project like this is you could try to put together uh, statements about each provision that could be widely accepted by people across different viewpoints. The other way you could do it is you could get strong advocates for one set of views pitted against strong advocates for the opposing set of views. And what we've done here is actually combine both of those approaches. So we create a framework uh, description that can be agreed upon across the spectrum, an essay setting out, for example, as I did in that uh, piece you talked about, uh, the history of the adoption of the 15th Amendment, which prohibited racial discrimination with respect to the vote, 
what the subsequent development in American constitutional history of that provision has been, uh, you know, where there, what we what we can recognize as fairly shared common heritage and understanding about a crucial provision like this. Uh, but then we also will provide perspectives from, uh, you know, more, what's the right language here? Uh, let's say, you know, more conservative, more liberal, if that's the right language, or more, uh, you know, com views committed to one set of approaches to the Constitution versus another in terms of methodology of interpretation. So readers can have both the common understanding of this provision and a good sense of where the areas of tension or conflict or disagreement are today. And, and I think that's a very interesting model uh, for trying to capture and foster both common conversation, common starting points, and also you know, deeper insight into why we have disagreements where those disagreements exist today. You describe it beautifully, and I'm just so excited about how this can really be a model for civil discourse across America, because as you say, it will reveal what is contested and what isn't. And we have big plans for this interactive constitution. We're talking to the College Board, which has a new requirement that all uh, kids who take the SATs and AP US History and Government exams study the founding documents about using this as a nonpartisan curriculum that could um, be uh, brought to every classroom in America. Um, it's a big organizational project. It'll involve reaching out to lots of uh, scholars and any uh, listeners who are interested in becoming involved with it, learning more about it, learning more about it, and helping us to construct it. Please reach out to me at the National Constitution Center. All right, I think it's time for uh, closing uh, arguments. Uh, uh, Nick, um, as you think about uh, this. Uh, three-year uh, project uh, to construct town hall debates across America, to continue these podcasts, and to create the best interactive constitution on the web, as well as to keep up our great IQ squared um, debates. What is your hope about the effect of this project on constitutional debate and education in America? Well, I'll just mention one facet of this project that I think is particularly exciting and worthwhile that we haven't really talked about. Um, the Federalist Society has been in the space of constitutional debate for decades and has been hosting these debates and has been an incredibly valuable uh, source and forum for constitutional debate nationwide for quite some time. But Federalist Society debates are aimed at lawyers. The audience is generally an audience of lawyers. And what's really unique about what we're doing here is uh, this is really aimed at lay people, aimed at college students, aimed at you know, any educated citizen who wants to know more about their constitution. And that's the way you and I really conceived the IQ squared um, constitutional debates at the NCC. And I think that's a bit our vision here. You know, the tax code there's maybe a handful of people in the United States who understand how that thing works and that it will always be thus, unfortunately. But the U.S. Constitution is meant to be understood by the people. It is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And it was really intended for citizen-level debate. And that is what we are trying to provide here, debates that really actually be accessible to an educated and interested citizenry. And that's just you know, new and exciting about this project, I think. Bravo. I 
wonderfully said. I share your enthusiasm, and you're absolutely right. We are aiming to engage and uh, illuminate constitutional debate for citizens from 8 to 80. It is The Constitution is not just for lawyers, but for all of we the people. Rick, your closing arguments, how do you hope that this exciting Coalition of Freedom project could transform constitutional debate and education in America? One of the things that's most exciting to me about this project is that you know, we live in a moment in which everything about our politics and our constitutional law and discussion has, is becoming increasingly polarized. And there are lots of forces that are driving that. And one of the forces is the desire of the media for people who are extreme proponents of one set of views or another views about the Constitution. Um, you rarely have funders like the Templeton Foundation here you know, that are willing to fund bipartisan kinds of efforts. You know, usually funders are attracted to one set of ideological positions or another. You have Congress with the creation of the National Constitution Center really investing in trying to develop broadly shared dialogue about these issues. And I know with your personal commitment and the kind of people who have you know, committed to being on the advisory board for this project, um, you know, I think this really offers the hope for as broadly shared, diverse, ideologically kind of rich, non-contentious, but serious discussion of American constitutional law, American constitutional history, um, and the fact that so much of this is geared towards high school students or college students. You know, I think of myself as fundamentally an educator, and I, I love the idea of reaching out beyond the law schools to try to talk to people broadly, uh, students and others, about American constitutionalism and American constitutional history. So I think it's very unique in that way and very exciting in that way. Thank you, Nick and Rick, for those superb closing statements. Ladies and gentlemen, you can tell from the enthusiasm in all of our voices how genuinely excited we are about this project. Like Nick and Rick, I'm convinced that we really have the opportunity to transform constitutional education in America by speaking to all students of the Constitution from 8 to 80. We can encourage habits of civil constitutional dialogue and by presenting the best arguments on all sides of the constitutional issues that transfix the country, we can help citizens educate themselves and make up their own minds. You, our great listeners, are a crucial part of this project. You are tuning in every week for uh, the best constitutional debates in America. Uh, if you're interested in becoming involved in the Coalition of Freedom Project, both uh, in helping with our podcasts and debates and in building out the interactive constitution, please contact me at the National Constitution Center, jrosen at constitutioncenter.org. And most of all, please keep listening to uh, these podcasts and stay tuned for what's to come. And with that, let me say, please join us for the next of our We the People constitutional podcasts. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.